yeah, I need to learn how to do like um, hip mobility exercises. Cause <laughs> why are you laughing? No, I'm trying. That's to... like that like puts us into the sixty year old bracket. No, you know like... why? You know why? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm trying to squat heavy. Heavy. And I can't squat oh. heavy. <laughs> Sorry, you just screamed. The screaming. Heavy. Yeah, and I can't squat if I, because um, the way that I do it is wrong, because I can't get my butt low enough because my hips aren't bendy enough. Wow. I didn't know your hips weren't bendy enough. Well, do you do you have the same thing as me? If I would, like, be sitting for a long time and then stand up, my right hip would kill so much as, like, I would limp a little bit to walk. You ever had that issue? Here. Yeah, like a big, yeah. mine just feels like a rotator cuffs yeah off no or something. no yeah. same yeah, 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 yeah. I that. <sighs> i'm over it hi everybody welcome to brought to you by the letter <laughs> with your two old Damn. aunties we are cuddled up right now with some uh tall socks on some nice comfortable mm-hmm. trousers and some heavy yep. sweaters so yep. Def- oh yeah definitely both of us are in some granny sweaters today yeah dude it's been a trip mm-hmm. the amount of things that i have just, just absorbed, absorbed into, into my, my brain. brain ouch uh, oh <laughs> ouch ouch <laughs> i think once we get better at this i will be able to communicate everything i have absorbed but mm-hmm. this subject was a little much for me mm-hmm. as like a human you really wanted to do this subject, I will just say. I know. Well, it's because I think it's fascinating. Okay. I love learning about it. But then when you get to like, okay, now I have to explain this back to somebody else. Yeah. And then it's, it's like, oh. Yeah, it's I was Yeah, I was like really enjoying the storyline. Well, not, I wasn't enjoying the storyline, but like the HBO miniseries, I watched that again mm-hmm. just to like get myself back in the game, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was, like, that. So that's, like, the emotional toll and then, like, amazing writing. And so, I don't know. And then there's science, mm-hmm. which didn't see. We Whoa, love it. Coming out of left field there. We with love some, some fission. science. We're going to talk fission. Fusion. Fusion. You're going to say, Kelsey, how does a nuclear reactor work? And I'll say, Carly, you're about to fucking find out wow. and explain to somebody else later. Hell yeah, I can't wait. I'll definitely explain to everybody I meet from for the next, like, week. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, totally. It's a great uh, cocktail hour subject. And <laughs> yeah, it's science. So like everybody's really interested. In yeah. It. No. Well, I'm excited to learn about what you're about to tell me about. But first, let's tell everybody who may be new here what our podcast is about. Hello, people. Hello, everyone. Some of you may be new. Some of you may be old. Some of you may be babies. Some of you may be big grandparents. You may, some of you might be a fresh baby. Ooh, fresh. Right out of the womb. Get the fresh, s- fresh baked bun. Fresh <laughs> Got a little baked. swat from the doctor on your way out. Don't they, didn't they used to like smack your bum or something when you came out as a baby? I don't know. Is that That's probably like old-timey babies. You know, <laughs> like, like how old-timey? I thought it was like the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm pretty sure my mom got hit on the butt and they're like, she's healthy. <laughs> Except she wasn't. She was a preemie. So. I, oh, no. That's the kind of science you're going to be teaching us. And then when babies come out, they get smacked on the butt. And the, the rate that the hand bounces off the butt post-smack. The undulation of the booty-to-hand ratio of a doctor and a newborn. Determines oh. the health. Of the baby. The sine and cosine of the wave of the butt. <laughs> Ew. Okay. The 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 tune at which the baby farts upon their first swat determines whether that kid will be a Mozart, mm-hmm. an Elton, mm-hmm. or a fucking trash human. Whoa. Yeah. 
So, yeah, our podcast, anyways, is about... So, okay, hi, welcome to Brought to You by the Letter with Carly and Kelsey. I'm Carly, and this is Kelsey. (laughs) I'm I'm actually actually Carly, though. That's Kelsey. I'm telling you, this subject fucked my brain up so bad, it hurt, okay? Like, I'm telling you, I have damage in there. Well... (laughs) Anyways, right. (laughs) Stop interrupting me, Carly. Okay, sorry. It's my fault. It's totally my fault that we can't get through this. <laughs> oh my gosh. I apologize, listeners. Um, I will take the blame. We're two best friends to talk about everything from A to Z in that order. Yep. And we learn about shit and our subjects go in alphabetical order. So there you go. Alphabetically learning. We're on C. And we're going to learn about Chernobyl. Whoa. And girl, it's a doozy. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. So, like, I thought I knew, but then I tried to understand fission, and I realized I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So this took me a while. It took me, like, a solid um, month to write this paper. You and know what? Hey, Kelsey. What? Before you get started on Chernobyl, what did the princess say to the knight? I don't know. What? You over there. Chernobyl. You're no... I don't know. Never mind. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> so, anyways... Carly, I we're talking. I just thought this of that. This is a time for jokes. <laughs> okay, my this bad. is serious. We're learning about science and people literally perishing. It's actually crazy. It makes me so mad on multiple levels, and you're gonna see why. Like I'm on ten soap boxes right now. That's the other problem mm-hmm. is that I'm just like mm-hmm. freaking out. Okay, well let's let's start. Okay, guys, right? Let's get into it. I'm gonna try to calm down for telling this story because damn, <laughs> I have a lot of energy, and I also had an espresso at like seven o'clock. Get ready for your mind to be blown. That's not... I didn't mean for that to be a pun. Okay. That's not cool to make that joke, Kelsey. Yikes. All right. Welcome to Chernobyl. You're going to learn some stuff about science and also sad things. Okay. Get ready. So, (laughs) please start. Start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Chernobyl is deemed one of the worst nuclear disasters in history, and it's very easy to believe why, after literally being consumed by the subject for over a month. (laughs) This story has everything. Everything. Let's start with some science. Okay. Nuclear power plants contain reactors. Reactors Mm -hmm. are those big stack-looking things. Um, There's one near my house, which is kind of creepy, honestly. Maybe after learning about it, you might be less scared. Okay. Or more scared. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. Only a It's, it's just like a little like ominous. Yeah, it is. Every time I pass Three Mile Island, I'm like, <sighs> you know, but <laughs> yeah. it's like not that bad. Yeah, it's just a little ominous. Yeah. Yeah. Nuclear power plants contain reactors, which are at the heart of the power plant. They house and control a process known as nuclear fission. Mm-hmm. Fission is a process where atoms split and release energy. Mm-hmm. The heat created from fission turns water within the reactor into steam. Okay. And steam spins a turbine to produce carbon-free electricity. Nice. So it's kind of like a windmill. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. We're doing good. We understand how a nuclear reactor works. Great job, everybody. There are a couple factors that can increase or decrease the reactivity of fission. Thereby, that determines how much power is generated from the process of fission. Got it. So for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to explain the factors that are within an RBMK reactor, which is a specific type of reactor at Chernobyl. Okay. Don't worry, I'm just spouting things at you. I'm just saying this is a really big king reactor, RBK. (laughs) 
Got RBMK. It. Oh. Really big, massive king. Yes. Reactor. <laughs> Thank you. And just to note, no country outside of the Soviet Union has used this type of reactor. So no sweat there. Cool. We're all good. Within the RBMK reactor, there are elements that increase the reaction rate and decrease the reaction rate. Factors that cause an increase in the reaction rate is fuel and steam, which as we already know, spins the turbine, creates the carbon-free electricity that we love. Factors that decrease the reaction rate are control rods made of boron. When they are inserted or withdrawn, they affect how reactive the reactor is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A rise in temperature decreases the reaction rate, surprisingly. I thought it would increase it just because hot increase, but it doesn't. And water, which acts as a coolant and a moderator to Mm -hmm. all the neutrons going around. Mm There's these different factors, the fuel, the steam, the control rods, the temperature, the water. All of these factors are changing, and the plant operators are the ones that can affect the different states yeah. within the reactor. So they okay. can decrease, increase. They're constantly things. like tinkering around with it, basically. They're tinkering around with it. They're maintaining it. They're just making sure it's all good to go. Got it. Understood. Great. You know how nuclear reactors work, specifically an RBMK reactor. Really big, massive King, King reactor. reactor. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going back to 1977, which was nine years before the Chernobyl disaster. Okay. It was during this time that a number of flaws were discovered within the RBMK reactor's design. So the most damning flaw is what's known as a positive void coefficient. Okay. The void coefficient is a measurement of how a reactor responds to increased steam formation in the water. Mm-hmm. Most other reactor designs have a negative coefficient, i.e. the nuclear reaction rate slows down when there's steam bubbles, so the reactor produces less power overall, which this is called a negative feedback okay. loop. Got it. The RBMK reactor, on the other hand, has what's known as a positive void coefficient. This means that as steam voids increase within the reactor, the power also increases, causing a positive feedback loop that cycles and builds. Increased steam increases power, increases steam, so on and so forth. This makes the RBMK very unstable at low power levels and prone to sudden energy surges to a dangerous level. We come to find out later in our story that this was not known by plant operators. This was the time of the Cold War and like the KGB, so... There was a lot of censorship going on, and this was a piece of information that was hidden from the people who worked in these reactor plants. Yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. Additionally, the control rod designs, which are meant to decrease reactivity, they are made of boron, but the tips of them are graphite. So when the control rods are first inserted into the reactor, Mm -hmm. the graphite tips are the first thing that touches the water. Okay. And that increases the reactivity before the rest of the control rod is entered. Why is it freaking tipped in graphite? That's weird. It's like a pencil. It's like a giant fucking boron pencil. (laughs) Um, If the HBO Chernobyl miniseries is correct, um, (laughs) it's because it was cheaper. Which is additionally shitty. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, right. So, for the first few seconds of the rod deployment, power increases rather than Got it. reduces. So, on the subject of graphite, good old pencil. <laughs> the Soviet design used a graphite core that ran very, very hot. Like, hotter than the fuel itself. So, mm. this was another flaw that contributed to the instability of the design. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep listing them off because they all fucking suck. So, fourth flaw lies in the structure surrounding the reactor 
it was so weak that the rupture of even a single like tube in the reactor could cause a deformation and like fuck shit up whoa yeah was it just like shitty construction well it's it was weak so i think it was shitty materials yeah yeah like dollar store like cement (laughs) yeah (laughs) dollar store cement that's actually like shitty fucking kinetic sand or something and it's like not good right so so the fifth flaw we're talking about very serious science right now i can't handle the dollar store in my like mind there was also an insufficient amount of concrete and steel around the reactor to withstand a major accident and keep the radiation inside there's some more flaws that include that there's a high potential for insufficient cooling of the fuel and the piping system was apparently super complex and like a plumber's nightmare so it was very difficult to monitor so like a really not great it was almost design. set up for failure like it from the get-go was. yeah it, it it just was like why does it have to be so hard and i think it was because like the soviet union at the time probably was keeping everything so close mm-hmm. and secret there's no like collaboration there's no innovation there's no yeah. there's nothing going on with that yeah you know? so it's like i think it was just very hmm secretive basically nine years before the chernobyl accident the soviets had this information and they kept it from common knowledge and they kept it from their plant operators so we have a faulty product okay and you're wondering probably like why has this never happened before like why chernobyl specifically there had actually been a couple of issues before that i've Mm. just kind of covered up and never mentioned nothing like at chernobyl no 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 other uh reactors reactors but Nothing like this, obviously, and no release of contamination. Like nothing that would affect anybody else, right? To our knowledge, right? I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just, (laughs) just being real. I don't know. Um, (laughs) What we've come to find out is that the conditions created in the early morning hours of April 26, 1986, reflects a very human error Mm. in this next part of the story. Mm. So I went science. I went science history. Now we can talk about some human stuff, which we can all relate to. Yeah. But hopefully you don't relate to much more. Did I mention on the on the podcast yet? Like every every birthday, I'm like, when is the age that I'm gonna not cry at my job? Have I mentioned that on the podcast? No. I always think I always think that. I'm like, okay. Wait, are you serious? I'm like, if I'm not crying at my job, am I living? No, <laughs> I'm because because like I'm joking, you, but you know what I mean. It's yeah. like okay, I'm too old to be doing this. I don't know though. Shit's hard. I know. It's just a, it's a little embarrassing to cry at work. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Why do you think I work from home now? Well, I know. I mean, it does. It, this this uh, anecdote doesn't relate to me at all anymore. So I can cry as much as I want. Nobody. Nobody will see you. Nobody will see me except my yeah. dog. So. Yeah. I actually have just found a job that doesn't make me cry, which is kind of cool. That's great. And I'm like, I don't understand. Yeah. What do you mean I don't have to cry? <laughs> what, there's no crying. What do you at mean work? there's no crying at but work? But anyways, human error can continue. Correct. So the event, the next part of our story starts the day before the accident. Mm. Three men: Chief Engineer Nikolai Famine, Plant Manager Viktor Bukhanov, and Chief Deputy engineer Anatoly Dyatlov sit in a meeting to discuss the routine maintenance test that's Mm -hmm. going to happen on reactor four. This test was to determine two things, the plant's ability to keep the reactor cool in the event of a power failure. Okay. And to test whether the plant's turbines could produce enough electricity to keep the pumps running in between initial shutoff and when the emergency generators would kick in and restore power. Okay. Simple. 
Right. No problem. No problem. A third grader could do it. Mm-hmm. No, that's not true. It's actually very hard, <laughs> as we'll come to find out. In order to create the conditions necessary for the test, the output of the power unit had to be gradually reduced. Mm-hmm. The test was supposed to be completed long ago, so there was this mounting pressure to complete the safety test in a timely fashion. Oh, they didn't. They skimped on their deadline. Yeah, and actually, I want to, I think I'm correct in saying this because I read it, but I was just like, I can't keep learning all these facts. It's hurting my brain. Yeah. But apparently when they signed over the paperwork for the reactor, so like when the power plant was done, they were supposed to have completed this test. What? I think that's true. Oh, no. I'm going to say I am 90% sure that's true. So they were really behind on this test. That's not good. And he's like, I've been trying to do this test for three years. For three years I've been trying to do this test. A lot of pressure. We got to get the safety test done. Let's do it. While the conditions had been set for the test, Brukhanov says they can't run the test quite yet. The regional power station had gone down and Chernobyl needed to temporarily supply power to the city of Kiev, further pushing back the start time of the test. And continuing Mm. to keep Reactor 4 running at a reduced rate. Relatable. Yes. So Reactor 4 continues to run at reduced power for 10 hours. Which is not good. This is not good because guess what? In this time, it creates a byproduct of fission known as Xenon-135. Whoa. Scary, right? I mean, it kind of sounds fun to me a little bit. She kind of sounds kind of cool. Yeah, she sounds cool. She's not. She's like a little dangerous, like a little cool, dangerous friend. Well, see, when this happens, it's known as reactor poisoning. So she's real bad. Oh, she's a bad influence. Bad influence. This means that, now I know I just talked about Xenon-135. I'm going to talk about Iodine-135, which decays into Xenon-135. Okay. So when reactor poisoning happens, Iodine-135 decays into Xenon-135 at a rate faster than it can be burnt off. Ooh. It's not good. Yeah. It's not good. There's a lot of xenon in here. Right. Xenon. He says xenon, and I'm not sure if that's because he's British or if it's actually pronounced xenon. Mm. Xenon. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Make my heart go boom, <laughs> boom, boom. boom. Zetus Lapidus. Zetus Lapidus. Zetus Lapidus. Sorry. Xenon, girl of the 21st century. Oh my gosh. So the only way to resolve this issue when you get reactor poisoning, mm-hmm. is to shut the reactor down and wait 24 hours and then slowly bring it back up. Okay. This is the only way to fix this, okay. just so you know. Okay. But obviously that didn't happen. Right. Because this is Chernobyl and everybody knows Chernobyl. Right. The test needed to be completed and the powers at B were determined to make that happen. So it's now 11.04 p.m. Right. This was early in the day. It's yeah. now 11.04 p.m. And finally, Chernobyl can stop supplying power to Kiev and resume testing. Okay. There's just one problem. Okay. The day shift crew was instructed on the proper conditions to run the test successfully. But by now, the day shift was long gone. The evening shift was currently wrapping up. And the night shift is set to start in under an hour. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So because of this, the night shift was wildly unprepared to continue the test that they'd never done before. They've never been briefed. They're just given a book of instructions. Some stuff is crossed out. Some stuff is not crossed out. Nobody knows what the fuck to do. Mm. They're basically walking into work and someone says, pop quiz. You're going to run this whole test you've never seen or been prepared for. Good luck. Goodbye. Aye. 
The only thing I can relate to is when I would come into my shift at Wawa and the whole entire deli would be a mess and they would go, see ya, you gotta restock everything. Not nearly as dire consequences, except that some <laughs> grannies are had to wait on their meatball sub because we don't have meatballs. Yeah, I think they were in a little bit over their heads in terms of the, meat, the amount of meatballs they needed for old ladies. Yeah. It was a little much. Yeah. I mentioned him before, Anatoly Dyatlov. Probably don't remember him. He was in the list of people I mentioned earlier. Because, mm-hmm. like, we all just went blah, 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 blah. I did remember him because he had the most interesting name. Oh, yeah. Dyatlov. Mm-hmm. The chief deputy engineer. He was supervising the test that was run by unit shift supervisor Alexander Akimov and senior reactor control engineer Leonid Toptanov. Okay. Toptanov was only 25 years old. Oh, and he had worked as a senior engineer on the job for three months at this point. He was wow. a little baby. Yeah. And he was the senior reactor control engineer. Wow. This was apparently his last shift before vacation. <gasps> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So Toptanov and Akimov are working to slowly bring the reactor down to a level that's between the power of 700 and 1,000 milliwatts. Or megawatts, I'm sorry. But the power suddenly falls into an unintended near shutdown state. So the power output is at like 30 megawatts. Oh, shit. Okay. Okay. So the reactor is now producing only 5% of the minimum initial power level prescribed for the test. This state of low reactivity further inhibited the burnoff of Xenon-135 within the reactor core and hindered the rise of power. So like... They're just sitting there. They're like, I don't know why the power's not rising. Like, it, you know, and it's, it shouldn't be dipping down this low. The control room operators then remove control rods from the reactor. So remember, we learned about control rods earlier. Yeah. They're withdrawing them so that the reactivity can increase. It is at this time that the number of control rods inserted into the reactor fell below the required level of 15. This, however, was not apparent to the operators because the RBMK reactor didn't have any way of calculating how many rods were inserted in real time. Yeah, isn't that weird? Like, they would just press a button and they, I don't know. It's really, I don't know. Ugh. The control rods are something that reduces reactivity, so that's taken out of the just equation. It's just like sticking shit in and pulling shit out, but nobody knows how many shits are sticking in or pulling out. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. It, it's it's annoying that they can't have real-time results. Yeah. That's the scary part to me. Yeah. So now we've got only six control rods left in the reactor. Oh, God. And there's a high coolant flow rate throughout the core, so water is entering the reactor at near boiling point. Oh. Right now. At 1.22.30, Toptanov receives a report from the computer system saying that based on the absence of sufficient control rods, the computer recommends shutting down the reactor. Dyatlov is yelling at Toptanov and Akimov to just, like, get it done. We need to get this test done. Like... Seriously? You just gotta fucking do it. Yeah. So now we arrive at 1.23 and 4 seconds. The test officially begins. As the momentum of the turbine generator decreases for the test... So does the power it produced for the pumps. So the water flow rate begins to decrease, leading to increased formation of steam voids in the flowing water. Unbeknownst to the operators, the void coefficient is no longer counterbalanced by other reactivity effects, meaning that any increase in boiling point would produce more steam voids, which would further intensify the chain reaction, leading to a positive feedback loop. Right which is exactly what we don't want to happen. Right. So there's no control rods, there's no coolant, nothing to pump the brakes on this ticking time bomb. Okay. 
I'm scared. I'm I know. like really anxious right now. Okay. I'm oh, sorry. It's almost <sighs> over. Okay. That sounds grim. <laughs> it, uh, Inside the core, the remaining water rapidly converts to steam. Steam increases reactivity, which increases heat. Mm-hmm. Which increases the amount of steam of what's mm-hmm. left of the water. And now we have the remaining xenon-135 decaying away. 1.23 and 35 seconds, the operators notice a rapid rise in power. At this point, there's only one thing left that can stop this reactor from going off the rails. In nearly every nuclear reactor, there's a button with one single purpose. That purpose is to scram or to instantly shut down the reactor. Okay. This is the emergency safety button. In the RBMK reactor, it is known as the AZ-5 button. This causes all of the control rods to be inserted at once, stopping the reaction dead in its tracks. So they're noticing the power is getting out of control. At 123.40. Okay. So 123 and 40 seconds, Akimov engages AZ-5. Okay. And the fully withdrawn control rods move directly into the reactor. These boron rods are meant to stop the reactivity from taking place, but before the reactor comes into contact with boron... It it comes into contact with the fucking graphite! That's right. I was your volume is off the charts, my young lady. But I yes. was sitting here being like, "Is it the fucking graphite that makes it explode?" So it's the graphite, fucking graphite. Graphite accelerates reactivity. With the graphite tips entering the core, oh, man. the reaction which was previously rising now skyrockets. It's the whole fucking purpose of the things is to stop the things. But then, are you kidding me? Oh, I'm so upset. I'm going to lean on my little HBO Chernobyl miniseries, not mm-hmm. a full series, a miniseries. Mini. Mini, mini. Because they do a great job of explaining it to big dum-dums like myself. <laughs> and also, he writes beautifully, so I'm going to read it. Every last molecule of liquid water instantly converts to steam, which expands and ruptures a series of fuel rod channels. The control rods in these channels can move no further. The tips are fixed in position, endlessly accelerating the reaction. Wow. Fuel channels are blown apart. The temperature rises in an instant. A reactor that was designed to operate at 3,200 megawatt now rises to 33,000 megawatt. Great. Ten times its normal operational output. This is the last reading on the power meter of the control panel. The first explosion. And then at 123 and 45 seconds, which is also 12345, which is really (gasps) weird to me because we know we have weird things about numbers. Oh, my God. Which we'll talk about later, maybe in a later episode. So at 123 and 45 seconds, the second explosion. The lid blows off of the reactor, letting in oxygen, combining with hydrogen and superheated graphite. And the graphite is now on fire. Ugh. Burning lumps of material and sparks are shot into the air above the reactor. Some of them fell onto the roof and started a fire. About 25% of the red-hot graphite blocks and overheated material from the fuel channels were ejected. To understand what's being released in the atmosphere, again, going to defer to my expert, Craig Mazin, who wrote Chernobyl, the HBO miniseries. (laughs) The RBMK reactor uses uranium-235 as fuel. Think of every atom of uranium-235 as a bullet, traveling faster than the speed of light, penetrating everything in its path. Every gram of uranium-235 holds over 1 billion trillion of these bullets, and that's in one gram. Chernobyl holds over 3 million grams. And right now it is on fire. Great. 
The fire inside reactor number four will continue to burn for 15 days until May 10th, 1986. So how are we doing so far? Wellness check. Ugh. As you were building to that, I was like, it's the fucking graphite, isn't it? It's going to be the graphite that that sets it off. I fucking knew it. Did you it. see why I had to teach you science first? Yeah. Because, see, this is the thing. I was like, okay, how did it work? And then I'm like, graphite tips, what does that matter? And then I'm like, yeah. nuclear fission, what does that matter? You know, it's just like, it just keeps going and got to understand it. Yeah. I'm upset. Yeah, well, it's not like it gets better. It actually right. kind of gets worse. Yeah. Contrary to safety regulations, bitumen, a combustible material, had been used in the construction of the roof on the reactor Great. building the and the turbine. the dollar store pool. fucking bitumen. Yes. Injected material ignited at least five fires on the roof on the adjacent reactor number three, which was still operating. Mm-hmm. First on the scene was a Chernobyl power station firefighter brigade under the command of Lieutenant Valdemir Kravya. This lieutenant would die 16 days later on May 11th of acute radiation sickness. Mm-hmm. Firefighters described tasting metal and feeling a sensation of pins and needles all over their faces. It is later known that this is because of the excessive amounts of radiation. The worst hit areas of the building have been estimated to have been hit with 5.6 ronkins per second, equivalent to more than 20,000 ronkins per hour. A lethal dose is over 500 ronkins over five hours. Hmm. So in some areas, unprotected workers received fatal doses in less than a minute. Yeah. Decimeters, which are devices used to measure the amount of radiation present, weren't built to detect the radiation levels that were present at Chernobyl. The scale didn't go that high. The scale didn't go that high. And for a while, they didn't believe the reactor exploded. This is understandable considering that no nuclear reactor had ever been thought to be capable of exploding. Hmm. It wasn't until they saw graphite present in the rubble that they knew that the core had exploded because graphite is from the core. Right. It's not good. So what did they think happened then? Just a fire? They thought a fire. You'll see that there's a lot of denial. Yeah. You have to be wrong. Why are you doing your job wrong? How could you... Like, when they go up the chain of command and they're met with answers they don't want to hear, they get reprimanded. Right. How Are you stupid? Do you know how to do your job? don't fucking come here and tell me that you're like giving me broken disometer readings like they're like it maxed out at this and he's like it must be broken like don't fucking bring me that you know like yeah it's, it's bad nobody is nobody's like taking the um blame or the fault or like you know what I'm, they're you know not what I'm, accepting right the truth accepting because the truth. it's not what they want to hear and they exactly. don't want to have to fucking go to somebody and tell them that that's the answer right later that day a commission was established to investigate the accident the commission was headed by Valerie Lagasov, who is the first deputy director of the Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy, including nuclear specialist Eugenie Velikov, a hydrometeorologist Yuri Israel, radiologist Leninid Ilyin, and so many more. Valerie Lagasov is the one we're going to focus on. Okay. They arrived at the power plant the evening of April 26th, and at that time, two people had already died and 52 were hospitalized. Wow. The two people that died were the plant operators in the reactor room. Yeah. It was pretty instant for one yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. I would believe so. So let's talk about our boy, Valley Lugazov, for a second. Okay. So he's the main character throughout the Chernobyl HBO miniseries, sponsored by... <laughs> I should really stop saying that, because they're going to come after me and be like, how dare you use our content? 
But Valerie Lagazov is played by Jared Harris, who I love. He oh plays God. Moriarty in the Sherlock Holmes movies, and he is just phenomenal. Like, he... Mm, I just love him. It's okay. You don't have to know. I'm blanking on what he looks like. He has red hair. He has a cute little gap. He's British. I'll look him up. Okay. Well, he's the guy that plays the lead scientist in Chernobyl. Okay. So you'll you'll probably know him when you see him. Okay. Valery Lagazov was born on September 1st, 1936 in Tula. He was an excellent student and a born leader. In 1961, he graduated from Mendeleev Moscow Institute of Chemistry and Technology, which prepared specialists for the nuclear industry and energy sector. At the age of 36, he was awarded a doctorate of chemistry and at the age of 45, became one of the youngest members of the Russian Academy of Sciences. Wow. So this guy is a bright young man. Lagazov built his name um, as one of the most prominent scientists in the field of inorganic chemistry. He received numerous state awards for his work. So despite his achievements and merits, it was almost by accident that he found himself on the state commission for Chernobyl. Basically, he was in a meeting with the director of the Kurchatov Institute, and he received a call via his Vertushka, which <laughs> is a Russian nickname for a closed state telephone line, which I love. Aww. Vertushka. Um, <laughs> stating that a scientist was needed to join the state commission and the state plane was waiting. So all of the other deputies were unreachable. So basically, Lagazov was like, they were like, you're going. Oh, and shit. Like, okay. But this guy, I mean, he he was meant to do it. Yeah. Like, he was the moral compass of this operation. Yeah. Like, if anybody else had handled it, I don't know if we would have be where we are today. Kind huh. of thing. Wow. That's my personal opinion, but right. before the disaster took place, he had stressed the importance of new security methodology for preventing large catastrophes and pointed out the problems within the RBMK reactor and the risks of operating nuclear reactors in general. So he was the only scientist who worked on site at Chernobyl we have him and his fellow scientists to thank for spearheading the disaster recovery. Mm-hmm. And you'll come to find that there's so many people we have to thank for giving their lives and literally just like risking yeah. everything to save the planet. Yeah. It's just like kind of amazing. Yeah. But that's what we'll pick back up next week. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's a lot. But hey, you're going to learn so much more. You learned some science. Now you're going to hear a lot of facts and it's going to make you real sad. But guess what? It's worth it. Okay. I think. Holy shit, Kelsey. You did an amazing job, like, building that shit up, because I was, like, hanging on to your every single word. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, I'm so glad, because I literally vomited for, like, a month. <laughs> That's kind of where we're gonna go, so tune in next week. Yeah. I guess we're doing two-parters now, yeah. maybe? Hey. Listen, this was a 15-page paper, and I was like, Carly, I don't know if people are gonna be able to live through this episode if we don't <laughs> split it into two. Hey, we can do what we want. It's our podcast. Yeah, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. We can do what we want. Oh my goodness! Well, wow. thanks. Well, guys I can't for wait to hear in. what more of this this exciting story next week. Yeah, it's gonna be um, uh, horrible. Get some wine. Yeah, I don't know. Cry. Honestly, hug the ones you love. Hug the ones you kind of don't hate because this was a lot. Yeah. I mean, I have a whole new appreciation for my life and humans. <laughs> you know how we talk about the shitty state of the world a yes, lot? Yes, it's getting shittier by the, the day. And, and, well, actually, I have something to bring up, too, about that. But it's also, like, then you hear this mm-hmm. and, you know, like... Yes, the shitty government overshadows this whole thing. Yes, like the shittiness overshadows a lot of it. Yeah. But then you have these pockets of like people 
who know what they're getting themselves into and mm-hmm. are doing it anyways so that they can save millions yeah, of lives. that's pretty cool. And it's like, fuck. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know? Hell yeah. So, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Well, it, can I t- so can I tell you this interesting kind of thing? So last time I'll bring up the HBO miniseries this <laughs> no, episode, continue. literally because I have to. <laughs> Stop. The, the way it starts... It talks about what's the cost of lies. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because they they play a lot on that throughout the show. They're mm-hmm. focusing on, like, what is the cost of when a lie, you know, yeah. continues. And eventually the truth comes out. And it's just like the writer wrote that storyline and that idea kind of before our recent election where mm-hmm. they're and how, mm-hmm. like, they bring up this whole war on truth kind of thing. You know, like what is truth and you know all this bullshit and so it's like weirdly ominous and then kind of scary because we're like talking about an oppressive government and then we're like oh lol remember that remember that remember when (laughs) we don't know what truth is anymore yeah it got me a little sick in the tummy feels and then so that's another reason why it's like i had to keep stopping and starting (laughs) because i was just like i can't handle this right now i'm literally having a mental breakdown yeah anyways can't take credit for any of that insight because those guys are just so fucking good at what they do. Yeah. But, hey, guys, let us Thank know what you, you think. Thank you for listening. This was really intense. Yeah. Um, and it'll not get less intense next week, but it is a really important story and it's worth listening yes, to. Yes, definitely. Thank you, and Kelsey. And it's still relevant. Definitely. Thank so, you, Kelsey. Thank you, listeners. Please, please, please rate, review, subscribe, download, share, because uh, we love you guys and yeah. we want to keep doing this. We'd so, appreciate it. Like I said... Hug the ones you love. Hug the love hug. the one you're with. That's the song that... That too. If you can't be... And give us a like and a share. Thanks. Love <laughs> the one you're with. Rate, review, subscribe. Okay, can I take a nap now, though? Okay, good night. Good night. Bye. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.